G'day, welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life and those in life chat music and more. Recently wrapped my ears around John Richards of KEXP's latest runcast that opens with Every Time the Sun Comes Up by Sharon Van Etten, who also is an artist our feature guest this episode, Bats, has supported. Richards has put through, again, a great running playlist. Share the link in the show notes. Before we hear from our feature guest, let's have a look. In the box. 11th of July 1969, David Bowie's Spaced Oddity was released. To mark this and the inaugural Moon Landing's 50th anniversary, message from Parlophone of an app that, when a phone camera is directed to the moon, will unlock the brand new 2019 Tony Visconti mix of the tune. With the video for the new version to premiere on July 20th, 2019, in line with Apollo 11, a 50th anniversary celebration with a collaboration between the NSO, that's the National Symphony Orchestra, and NASA at the Kennedy Concert Hall. As for physical release for this tune, a 7-inch has been released with The Wild-Eyed Boy from FreeCloud as the B-side. Right Kind of Wrong is the next album from Megan Sidwell. The new cut is Pieces of Me. Originally from New Zealand, Sidwell has saddled up with Melbourne, Australia as their new home base. Recorded in Nashville by Sam Hawksley. Welcome to My Heart, the title track of Angus Gill, new album, which is out September 20th, 2019. The 20-year-old with a guitar and some twang. Song of Heartbreak? Lisa Murray Drake has that. Little Heart, a follow-up to their Basking Glory debut single. Direct from their release, the song being an ode to an enduring connection to the marginalised in our society. Clear, as in the eye contacts can be to see through, C-L-E-A-R is the name of a musical output from Aussie songwriter and singer who has a debut cut called Somnium, which is Latin for dreams. They state the cut is an anthem for dreamers recorded in rural Victoria and they now base themselves in the heart of Harvey Bay in Queensland, Australia. Fun fact, For most of 2017, they had our feature guest song for now as their own alarm tone. Hillsong had their conference during the week and a release of a new single is from them and expected to be in the charts in the next week. Speaking of charts, we'll have a look at the latest ups and downs after our feature chat and also some discoveries that may not make it on the charts but well worth a listen. One more from In The Box, though. An artist I was one of the first to spin their debut on the wireless now has a full-length album, Thelma Plum, with Back To Black, spelled B-L-A-K, which features co-writes with a Paul McCartney and a Paul Kelly. As well as a single Clumsy Love, there are 11 other cuts, including one called Nick Cave and Woke Blokes. It's out through Warner Music. Time now to head to our feature guest. Bat's debut full-length album is a concept record based upon NASA's Voyager mission. Wearing their obsession of space in every groove of the grand tour, the artist has had quite the journey up to it, shining as a songwriter in the tunes penned on it. Having just supported Sharon Van Etten on their Australian tour, Bat's made their way to South Australia to headline their own album launch at Grace Emily, and the morning after, spoke with Radio Notes. Tanya Bat, welcome to Radio Notes. Thank you for having me. Topic of choice du jour mm. is going to be space over the next hour or less. Oh. Starting point is the album itself because mm-hmm. it is a concept record. Mm. Question I want to open that with is you were at a point in your life where music had very much taken a back seat. Mm. But there was something about space 
mm. that inspired a whole album, a concept yeah. album. What was happening? What was inspiration? More so than music taking a backseat, it was the... I guess I was just feeling quite disheartened by it all. I've been doing it for quite a long time and the industry itself was just making me feel quite sad <laughs> and I just wasn't very happy doing it and I really wanted to make an album though and I love music so it wasn't really the music that was making me unhappy it was just like the industry side of things space makes me so happy and I spend a lot of my time reading things and watching things on it I don't know why I just have this weird obsession with it I was listening to a podcast and I got this idea to um I heard the sound of Voyager 1 crossing into interstellar space and it just gave me this idea to contact NASA and ask them for all the samples from that mission and then that just like, yeah, sparked the idea for the concept. As I got older, it became something I really like fell in love with. I started watching Cosmos, like Carl Sagan and then Neil deGrasse Tyson, the remake, and that's just when I really latched onto it. I mean, something had happened in my life, which I won't go into detail with, but I had to uh, relearn a lot of things. And that kind of just, like, really helped throughout that whole process. And that's why I just latched on to it, I think. From then on, it's just always been this really comforting thing for me. that I just find a lot of comfort in it. And it's just so beautiful as well. It seems to have been a starting point. That mm. bit that you don't wish to mention, which yeah, is fine. That's fine. But that seemed to have been the catalyst for the investigation mm. or the desire for space. Yeah, and that was funnily enough in 2012, which was when Voyager crossed into interstellar space, so quite funny in a sense. I like the idea of how it all came together as well, because I think making it a concept album was how I actually managed to finish the album in general. I'm not sure if I would have just been able to write the 11 songs and record them as individual things and just put it out like I needed something else to focus on as well let's talk about the detail for which mm. space plays a part in yeah, the grand cool. tour how much of a time code does space play into the record I understand it affects the track listing for mm. example yeah heaps the track listing was the biggest thing but I mean the breakdown like the amount of research that went into it was immense I mean I spent a year researching the Voyager mission and reading a lot of books on it, watching a lot of videos and, and things like that, and just just really trying to get my head around the mission and just all the path that it's been going on, and and then reading about the planets, of course, and just like understanding what, what they were like when it went past, and then like what the people were feeling like who were part of the mission. Uh, like it just sounds like the most exciting mission to have been a part of, I think, within JPL at that time and NASA. Everyone just was so excited because it was just huge, you know, it was just monumental and there was just so much excitement in, like, in it all and I just think it's so beautiful. And, but it's like time down to the like, point of... So there's obviously there's hidden samples throughout the whole entire album um, from the moment Voyager left Earth until it crossed into interstellar space. And um, so you're literally going on Voyager's journey through space. And the track listing then falls into place because I wanted to match the songs to the planets it was going by or like the feeling of where Voyager was in the solar system at the time and, and then beyond. And then I wrote a couple of songs, like the end song in particular was really important to really feel like that moment of crossing into interstellar space. What do you imagine interstellar space 
actually looks like? A whole lot of nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's just emptiness. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, there's just, you know, there's so much space in between each star and whatnot. It's, yeah, I think that there's just so much space. Because now Voyager goes on a journey mm. that is billions of years. Yeah, like a crazy thing to even think about because it's just going to keep going for so long. And I mean, it carries this beautiful capsule of humanity on it, which is just what I find so beautiful about this mission in particular. Just like has the golden records on it, and it's a little time capsule of humanity. And Break that down for me. Mm. Firstly, a brief explanation of what the golden record is for those that aren't initiated. Yeah, so the golden record was created by Carl Sagan and his team, and it has like hello in 60 languages on it, and like music from different countries and eras, and like photos from Earth, and you know, just like the best parts of humanity, I guess. And then, you know, I guess that's where I then came in and created the contrast within the music and told the other side of that, of what we as humans feel, which is we go through a lot of pain and heartbreak and all that stuff. So I just like wrote about that as well and different things and like some of the simpler things that we go through as well. The mechanics of the record has always intrigued me. Do our interstellar friends yeah. have record players there's record players on the Voyager spacecraft with the instructions on how to play them so they say if someone is smart enough to intercept the spacecraft themselves they are intelligent enough to work out how to play them your record or the music itself is the extension of the golden record itself through mm. the emotions and feelings of humanity yeah what feelings that I felt as a human on this planet I mean there's a lot of fictional stories on there as well so like me writing as other humans or things like that feels like the golden record was missing a few tunes if not an entire album there's such a large contrast of music on there though which is great you know there's that big rumour about the Beatles um, Here Comes the Sun I think it's Here Comes the Sun uh, that they really wanted to have on there but their publisher refused for it to go on there Apparently it's a lie, but I've heard it's, you know, along the traps. I think Paul McCartney said it was true, but, you know, you never know whether to, to believe him or not. Apparently their publisher didn't allow it, so they got Chuck Berry instead, which, you know, I'm happy with. What's the most fascinating of the planets, and you are allowed mm. to include Pluto in this? Oh, I like Saturn the most. Saturn's my favourite. I just find it really beautiful. I don't know, like its rings are stunning. I mean, it's not the only planet in the solar system with the rings, but it's got the most prominent ones. It's got 62 moons. What's your favourite moon on Saturn? I'd probably say Titan, because it's, you know, like the one that's most likely to harbour life. So that's pretty cool. I mentioned Pluto. Why was Pluto disowned from the planets? Uh, basically, they kept Pluto as a planet. They would have had to include over like 150 other planets into our solar system. We're talking about the Grand Tour record. Did you ever think during the uh, conceptualising of this record that you'd have to get in contact with an Octarian, someone in their 80s? Uh, yeah. Well, I know that obviously Voyage is quite an old mission now, so surely the people I'd be contacting that were a part of it would be in that age group. I never knew whether they would be open to listening about the album because I was like oh I don't know if this is a thing that they would want to 
you know. Because this is the amazing story mm. we should backtrack. To get the recordings from NASA. Mm. I sent NASA an email and asked them if I could have all of the samples collected from the Voyager 1 spacecraft in particular. And they then were like, well, we can't give them to you, but we can give you the email of Don Gannett, who built the instruments on Voyager 1. He turns the radio and plasma frequencies into, like, the waves into sound on Earth. So I emailed him, and he's still a lecturer these days. Like, he's still, you know, just crushing it at the University of Iowa. And I sent him an email. He got back to me, and he was like, absolutely, here is everything you need. And he just sent me everything over, so that was really nice. So you received these files. Mm. What are the sounds? Oh, my God, so much white noise takes a lot to find the little gold in them. Don't forget the technology on those spacecrafts is so low just because of how old it is. So how was it captured? Was it 24-hour reel-to-reel tapes? Or? Yeah, they're like, they've got eight tracks in there. The waves that they pick up, he has this machine down here that he uses to... It's quite complex. I was asking him about it. And yeah, they sent when they sent everything over so much oh my god I had so many to go through and I ended up just choosing the ones like I went through so I can't even explain how many hours of stuff I went through you'd find perfect little like treasures of like lightning storms on Jupiter and I didn't need much I just need like a five or ten second or twenty second thing that I could just pop in there which I did in nearly every track. There's a couple that don't, like Folding Chairs on the album doesn't have anything in because that's at a point in the journey where they lost contact with Voyager 1. So that is a choice where they don't have... There's no sample in there because they lost contact with it. I understand that you live-tracked the album. Yeah. How do you get what essentially are recordings from quite a while ago Mm. into the live-tracking? Just in the mix process after. I worked with Alex O'Gorman on that. I just would go in with these, you know, I had a hard drive full of the ones that I'd already filtered out and gone through. I'd be like, here's some gold on these ones, let's go through that and see what works best. And then we would place them through and see what would work in it and be like, that's a perfect bit. And then we would just have to make them sound nice. So we would filter out all of the frequencies that were really harsh on the ears and stuff because some of them were pretty unlistenable as they were, so you just have to like, you know, filter out certain ones. Some were completely untouched. Let's find out a bit more about Tanya Bat, yeah, Bat who joins us here on Radio Nights. Originally from the UK. Yeah. Migrated. When I was 13. Good teenager? Yeah, good. I mean, I try moving a uh, teenage girl to Australia at 13. That's not a good time. Very brutal. I did not want to move to Australia at 13 years old. How easy was it to find friends in Australia? Oh, it wasn't, it wasn't hard to find friends. I was like the, you know, the English girl everyone wanted to, you know, in a country town. But I'd moved from like a big town of like, you know, school of a lot of people to a like small town with like a small population. And I did not like it at all. <laughs> I just wanted to go home. But now I love it and it's home and I'm glad my parents brought me here. But... What was the first positive moment you had in that small town that oh made God. you feel like this could be home? I honestly cannot say. Like, I don't remember. I don't remember calling, like thinking of Australia as home until like nine years in. We're heading towards 22. Mm, when I moved to Melbourne. 
when I moved to Melbourne, I really felt like that was home, like the city in general. I love Melbourne so much as a city, and that's when it really started. To, I moved to Melbourne when I was 18, um, and then once I finally started to like find, and I was acting at that stage. I wasn't doing, wasn't really doing music much. Acting was what I did throughout my childhood and my early teens and stuff, and into my early 20s, and then music kind of took over a lot heavier. Let's talk about acting. Mm-hmm. Oliver, the lead role. Oh, God. How do you know these things? Oh, my God, that's amazing. I played Nancy. I was tone deaf as a kid, so when I got the role of Nancy, my mum cried because she thought it was a sick joke that they were playing on me. So she told my family not to come. But then my dad made me sing the part in the other room and he was like, oh, my God, she's actually good. What's happened? Yeah, I don't well, know what happened. Something just changed. Well, I was going to ask, what I did don't know. happen? Same with my dad. He was tone deaf until he was 20, and then something just changed. Yeah, I think it just must be something in our genes. I don't know what it is. The old man is a musician of sorts. He's a singer, yeah. So voice is the only instrument? Yeah, absolutely. He's an amazing singer. He can entertain better than most people I know. Did that influence? Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God, absolutely. I grew up watching him on stage, like, every weekend of my life, you know, so I think so. I mean, I always wanted to be on stage. I grew up with two brothers. I was the youngest, so you're always fighting for attention. But I'm quite a, like, introverted extra, I guess. I like being on stage, but I'm quite an awkward human. Do you sort of have an etching to be... Oh yeah, I do miss I do miss acting. Yeah, absolutely. Hypothetically speaking, mm. let's put it out into the universe. What kind of acting would you be doing now? I'd probably do screen over. I did, did screen probably more than I did theatre. I did study theatre though. I would probably do screen more. I still occasionally do a couple of things. My friend recently filmed a, a movie last year, a short film, and I was in that. Like if friends call on me, I'll always go and help. I always love doing that. And I think one of my mates is writing something at the moment that I'm going to be in, which is nice. Like, I do like getting to do things like that. In your latest music clip... Mm, I'm not in it. I am, actually. It's a cheeky cameo. I didn't want to be in this one. Yeah, I, I had a clear image of what I wanted for this clip. Overstage Your Welcome is the latest. I really wanted it to be about the character in the song and what happened after the song, if that makes sense. You know, the song is a fictional song about, um, you know, that person that kind of everyone has in their life that just kind of takes and takes and takes. And just how taxing that can be on a friendship. And these two guys, they've been friends forever, and one of them had gone down a really successful path in life, and he's got kids now and a family, and the other one had just continuously sponged off him forever and always had him there, and he just kind of had had enough now, and it just that was it couldn't take it anymore so it kicks him out and sort of like the sidekick you have as a teenager yeah. when you hit your 20s yeah you get a bit over them you know they just keep taking and they never actually they always tell you that they'll sort things out and get on their feet but they never do because they've always got you to you know help them we've all got one of those I think the clip begins the moment he gets kicked out and it's him walking away being really angry because it's you know woe him nothing's ever his fault so he's walking around and he's angry and by the end of the clip he realizes he's totally alone and he's got no one so he just has a bit of a breakdown moment and I think it's really important to show like male emotion and have that little breakthrough for him 
what you did within the electronic field was absolutely oh, yeah. outstanding. Perfect. But you needed to leave that. Mm. Was it not working it's just for not you? me. I, I really love what I did with Fiji, who I was making music with back then. He's such an incredible producer, like amazing. And I love what we created. I love what I learnt from that. Like I learnt so much about dynamics within my own vocals and I really enjoyed doing it, but um, it's very much so not who I am. I really like to just pick up my guitar and write and I really like to play my band and really like to live track the music. And to me, it's, I really like that side of music, you know? I like to be able to work out songs in a room with all the like with my band and just like play it's been an amazing learning curve mm, for you yeah huge I feel like I've bettered myself so much as a musician and a writer as well from it and the music that we made together has like helped a lot of people like still get a lot of messages from people that keep finding it and that's why I haven't taken it down like I'm really glad that people can still have that and as much as it's so different to what I have now, I keep it up because it's important for humans to be able to see a process as well of change and learning and, and growth and things like that. And I mean, like, I started music quite late, so, you know, it was just working out what the hell I wanted to do, you know, you just don't know. And I think you try so many different things, and Australia is such a weird industry in the sense you... It's quite hard here, and there's so many people doing it, and you try all these different things, and... Because, you, you know, you don't, you don't know what's going to work and then you kind of realise that you don't really want it to work for anyone else but yourself because you've got to make what makes, you know, what you want to make because you've got to play it. And that's essentially the point I got to because I was going to quit. I wasn't enjoying playing that live and my partner was just like, you sit at home and you write all of these songs on your guitar and you do nothing with them and all of your favourite artists came to Australia, they would never ask you to support them because of the music you're making isn't anything, you know, like that. But if you were releasing what you write at home, you were so in alignment with those people. And then I started releasing that, and then that led to me getting the Sharon Burnett and support. You mentioned the partner, and I know for a fact that there are musicians as well. Yeah. Aren't sure as little as you mm. wish on this. Because I did ask Rachel Eckroth this question, because she also has recently married a musician. Oh. So it's a musician family, and they're both touring musicians oh. as well. What is that dynamic like in terms of getting, getting that mix right, finding those touch points as musicians, as people? Yeah, I think the most important thing is communication. <laughs> You know, when you're away, you've just got to set, set rules in the sense of, you know, talk. we talk every day when either one of us are on the road, which is really nice. Especially, like, time differences, like if you're overseas, like, that's a big one. Just, like, making sure you know where you're going to be, like, and just things like that. And uh, also being understanding of how hard touring is as well. Like, just because they're on the other side of the world, touring doesn't mean they're having the best time ever as well. It's hard, touring's hard. It's exhausting too, so I think it's good that we both understand what the other is going through. And the highs and lows as well, you know, the come downs from shows are so intense. Just making sure that you're, you're there. And it also, I think it's great to miss a person, you know, like I think it makes a, a relationship really strong to miss a person. And, and that's something that today's social media always mm. engaged thing has taken away. Yeah, I mean, people can spend every single day together and you don't really get to, to miss them, whereas I get that 
chance. And it's hard, but it's nice. At the same time, when they get home, there's no better feeling. You're so you know? missing them now. You've of course. Them. Because they've been away for over a month. Yeah, absolutely. Recently. He was away for a month, got home for one day, and then I came to Adelaide. So, And that day he got home, I had a show So, uh, yeah, uh, in Melbourne. One of the biggest shows one of the you've biggest done. Sh- well, the biggest show I've ever done at Hamer Hall. So, And he was, you know, the most supportive, amazing human. He made sure he was back for that show. And, yeah, it was the... Amazing, like what a night. I won't ask how it came about, I want to ask about the vibes and feelings of performing with. What was the experience like? Um, oh, very surreal, um, very beautiful, so much love, so much love. They were just the nicest group of humans. Brisbane was first, I hadn't played a show really since February because I'd been hit by a car. Yeah, which meant relearning how to play the guitar. Kind of. I mean, you don't really forget, but definitely, like, being on stage again, I was, te- like, playing in front of over a 1,000 people and with my one of my all-time favourite artists, the nerves were high and I'm on medication that for my migraines that doesn't make me regulate them very well, so... I get overwhelmed super easy and I hadn't played a show since that so I didn't know how I was going to be able to handle that so I was quite nervous and I did like I can cry at the drop of a hat when I get overwhelmed because I you just can't handle the emotions because of it they it's a brain thing that the things don't connect or it's very odd it's very odd I can't explain it's the like feeling. A, it's a tithering isn't it it's very strange because I'm not normally like that so mm. It's strange to be like, this isn't my body reacting. What is happening? Ah, why am I crying? But crying in a really nice, overwhelmed way, but also had a slight minor panic attack before the Brisbane show upstairs. And then I danced it out with my friend who came along with me, and then Shaz knocked on the door, and she was super excited to meet me, and I was like, what is happening? You are the best. She's just so lovely and full of love and so kind, and... Will you or will she be asking for a, a co-write? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that would be a dream, wouldn't it? And I mean, I'd love to write anything with her. Yeah, maybe one day. Yeah, just really grateful to have been able to do those shows. And, that, you know, the audiences, her audiences are just so beautiful. Like, oh my gosh, so lovely. We'll share a picture on the episode page mm. from Joshua. We took a, an outstanding oh, image yeah. of that evening. Oh, how important is concert live photography? Oh, so important. Just to capture it, because you don't remember it. Like, I rarely ever remember performing. Like, I remember Brisbane pretty well, but I don't remember Hamer Hall. Like, and I remember standing on that stage and saying, take it in, remember it. But because I was so in my own head on stage, because I was, I think, Hamer Hall, home show very nervous biggest show I've ever played like 2,500 people yeah hometown audience hometown audience the most beautiful venue I've ever stepped foot in that room is just out of control stunning three levels as well because you've got to think you're on the wrong side of the room because you're on stage not in the audience yeah and I've actually been to that room so many times to watch orchestras play and like these symphonies and comedians as well on that stage and it was very odd it was just this really surreal experience and I was just like what is that and it was just me you know so just like one human playing to all of those people it's quite strange yeah so lovely the whole experience was just something I'll remember for the rest of my life like I just feel very grateful to have a crew that nice and you know people who are at that level 
never know what to expect, I guess. And they were just all bloody lovely. You mentioned comedy. Let's cut this mm. up a little and ask what are some of your favourite comedians and why? Oh, my favourite comedian in the whole entire world is a guy called Lee Evans. He's a British comedian. He actually holds the record for most tickets ever sold in England for... He sold, like, yeah, ridiculous. He is, like, the best comedian ever, in my opinion. Highly recommend checking him out if you haven't. He's the best. He's an observational comedian. Just brilliant. He's just the funniest man. And he just, like, speaks so quickly. And he runs around. And he's got, like, a rubber face. Like, he just, like, you know, moves. Oh, my God. He's just the funniest human. And he just sweats so much. You've never seen a human sweat like that. I can't remember the band at the moment, but there used to be a band that used to have comedians as their host. See, I've I've spoke about this a lot with my like with a few people because I um, would love to do that. How do we make that work? How do we make comedians the opening act for a band? It just seems so organically correct. Yeah, I mean it's a hard one because firstly you want to support other musicians as well, you know. So it's it's like having the platform of. You know, combining the arts is really great. Good to do both. You know, maybe you have one music group and one comedian. I thought about doing that. But, or even if you have like a little in the middle of sets, like a five minute or 10 minute slot, but you know, then that becomes increasingly more expensive. I think it depends what level you're at. Would you give them a half an hour? I, I don't know. I don't really know how to make it work. I'd like to see someone do it or I'd like to try and do it and then, or speak to, I've got a few comedian friends and see what they would like to do. I mean, I thought about it heaps because I really love, I love comedy so much. Like, yeah, so much. That brings us to Jeff Tweedy. What a human. What a human. Did you, did you enjoy his show the other week? On your recommendation, I, oh, I stayed. I'm so I, glad you stayed. Uh, but oh, he's so good. As terms of, I don't know if he thinks he's a funny man, he definitely wasn't trying to be a funny man, but he was hilarious. Oh, he's so funny. And he's just like, you know, one of the all-time best songwriters we've ever had. You know, to watch him live was just so good. I just wept. Hi, I'm Rishikesh Hirway. And I'm Joshua Molina. We're from the West Wing Weekly, and you're currently listening to Radio Notes. Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, and those in life chat music and more. You can join us on The West Wing Weekly for an episode-by-episode breakdown of the television show The West Wing. Josh was the star of the show, and we give you behind-the-scenes insights and deep dives into the issues raised in the storylines of the show. You can find us on Radiotopia.fm or through your favorite podcaster. For now, back to John Merch and Radio Notes. We're currently in conversation with Tanya Bats. That is Bats, the artist, and the Grand Tour is the latest album from them. What are you listening to at the moment, apart from your own work? Oh, that's a nice question. Big Thief. I'm a very big Big Thief fan. They've just released their new album, UFOF. I love David Bazan. I'm still listening to his album, Strange Negotiations. It's from 2011, but I only discovered it last year. I'm obsessed with it. I'm a big Andy Scharf fan. Yeah, I noticed. Who is Andy Scharf? Andy Scharf is from Canada. You've got to listen to him. Like, I cannot even begin to express to you how good this man is. Like... He released an album called The Party and he produced the whole and like recorded every single instrument on it other than the strings. He taught was himself a, clarinet. Was that it. a concept album I heard you say? He doesn't like to call it a concept album, okay, but it 100% a concept is sorry. a concept album. Sorry, Andy. Uh, it is a concept album. I'm sorry, Andy. It is a party from all different characters' points of views. It is so good. Like, oh my God. It blew my mind. 
So they're all like fictional characters. So when you say it's a party album, it isn't like douche douche. No, 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 no. It's set at a party. And it's each song is from a different character's point of view. That so would play into your theatre mind. Oh my god, it's so good. It's so good. Like ridiculously amazing. You have to listen to it. So it's a more than one listen on it? Oh, I can't express how many times I've listened to that album. Once you do a concept record, what do you do next? Oh yeah, I've been thinking about this. Like, what do I do next? Do I just be a concept person or... Yeah, I don't know actually. I haven't really thought about the next one yet. I guess I've randomly been writing every now and then, but I really don't know what I'm going to do next. The tour of the UK in August. But I'll just keep writing and then I'll decide. There's so much education mm. that can pivot from this record on space. Oh, there's something happening there. I just can't. Oh yeah, there's definitely something happening there. There may be someone, something, somewhere building a whole entire experience for it at a very special venue and then I may get to tour it around the world at very special venues. Does it involve a doctor? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Good. Yeah. What, what fact do you want to share with us mm. today? I'll share two. Okay. Um, this is one of my favourites because it's mind-blowing for me. Anyway, I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, what? This is one, because we were talking about Pluto, I feel like I should share it. And this is that Russia is bigger than Pluto. Maybe that's why it's not a planet. Second fact, Saturn is less dense than water, so if there was a bathtub big enough, Saturn would float. Wouldn't that look great on a t-shirt? Oh, it, would. it would look great in a t-shirt, and you can get those on my band camp. <laughs> when Tanya looks out to the stars mm. of an evening, it's a clear yeah. night, what do you see when you look at the stars? I don't know, I just get really calm. And I get really grateful. I don't know why. That's just always... I've always done this little thing. It's so lame. Because I live in the city, so I don't see that many stars, obviously. Unless I go out to the countryside where my parents live. But I always say, like, a little thanks to the seven stars I might see in, in the sky in the city. And each one about something I'm, that's nice in life. Yeah, I don't know. I just really like it. It just calms me. I don't know, the, the vastness, like, of how large it is... Like, you know, that just makes me feel calm. The insignificance of self doesn't concern you? No. I think that is the reason why it makes me calm, maybe. Because everything is so in your head sometimes. Isn't it nice to just make... Like, you realise that we're just a part of this bigger thing. Who owns the skies? No one. Absolutely no one. I hate that. It makes me so mad makes me so mad that anyone here on earth I don't want to get you mad but oh I want your view on it because God, it's so we're sad. heading down that way that's when I hope that aliens exist and they just come and blow them all up do you know what I mean like how greedy it's like you've had your go how greedy it makes me so mad this is a space treaty that was like created way back so there is a space treaty you can't own you can't like you know make war over a planet or anything no one can own a... Just down the other end of this road is where the Australian Space Agency will be. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Oh, that's so cool. Yep. 
who's your space traveler hero? Oh, Chris Hadfield. Oh no. Peggy oh, Whitten. Right. Yeah, he's good. Peggy Peggy Whitten's really amazing. She's like clocked up the most um, amount of hours um, for any woman in space. It's amazing. With all your knowledge. Oh God. My, I, I'm, I'm just going to put no, a disclaimer no, no, no. out that my brain is very much so not working very well this morning. Well, this is a matter of this is more a matter of the heart than the brain, but the brain will, will tick it over. Okay. How much do you believe mm. Elon Musk? Oh yeah, I think he's a brilliant man. I think he's got he's very, very, very intelligent, stupidly intelligent. I'm, you know, I think he's cares about the world a lot, and also he has reached pretty much all of his deadlines, like a lot of his deadlines, a lot of, eventually, anyway, like he is. So of all his, all of his ventures, that of mm. space seems to be the most consistent and the most yeah. on target. Yeah, he has really, really come through with a lot of his creations and like ideals that he's come up with. So the brain part is, do you think Elon will get there in the next three, four years to Mars? To Mars, mm. I don't know. I mean, not three, four years. I definitely think someone will be there in the next five to ten. Who should we be sending up to space next and why? I just think whoever's best fit for the job to go up. I think whoever is safest, whoever can actually... Like, because, you know, obviously we've got to go to the moon and redevelop there and, you know, so we can then use that to get to Mars and... Just think whoever's best to go there and create what we need to create there to, to, to use it as a base to get to Mars. I think whoever's best for that job and whoever it's safest to go there so they don't get in any any trouble or, you know, and their lives are safe. Like, I think it's, you know, all this, all this stuff about sending up, you know, rich celebrities and rich humans just so they can see it. Like, I just don't think we're ready for that yet. And then Branson. Like Branson stuff. wants to do it. Yeah, he wants to do his, and he's like pretty keen on that. I just think like keep it, keep it in the science community for now. Keep it in the people that have trained their whole lives to, to know what they're doing before we start sending civilians into a place where they could lose their lives so easily. Do you know what I mean? Like we, like people who have trained forever are still losing their lives up there. So, I just think that we should just keep it safe. You mentioned Chris Hadfield. He's so good. I sent in my album, but I've had no response yet. Because I was going to ask from that, mm-hmm. what Chris is somewhat known for is that of his space odyssey in mm, space. Yeah. That uh, is a David Bowie tune. What sort of inspiration has Bowie been for you? Oh, huge. I love Bowie so much. I grew up on quite a bit of Bowie. My mum's a big Bowie fan. I just love how... Oh, everything about him like musically he was just so I don't know I feel like he just tried so many things he had no cares of what what people thought like he just really broke down so many barriers and and norms and like was really innovative with what he was creating and tried so many different things and I think that that's important and like all these personas that he took on and things like that, like I just, and the different music that came from that as well, you know, like becoming a different character and then seeing what that creates, like I really love that. Like I have 
endless respect for that for that man. Like I think he's brilliant in every way, and I, I'm such a big fan of all of his music. So you know, even up to his last album, like his last album is incredible. Do you at this point? currently 28, mm. have a sense of a lifetime's work now in music of where you want to take your musical journey? I just want to keep writing really, I just want to keep getting better and trying to learn and create new things and work with people that I admire and like and like I love making music with my band and I learn so much from them and yeah I just want to get to travel and work with other humans as well and just play music around the world. When you look at the record itself, the mm. Grand Tour, which is available now, if it was a brand new Spankin' Bats planet, <laughs> what kind of planet is it? Oh. Because you sang through our conversation yeah. that it is the humanity side of the Golden Record that's portrayed mm. through your music on the Grand Tour. So what kind of planet would we be landing on if the Grand Tour was a planet? Oh God, no, it'd be awful. It'd just be like this one, wouldn't it? It'd be a sad one if it was anything like my bloody songs. <laughs> I guess the record in itself is just, uh, you know, it's meant to be like it's like the whole, this solar system in particular, but um, I guess the, the, yeah, the songs, well, the songs are sad, so, but they, they've got hope in there. There's hope in there, so... Hopefully a hopeful planet. What feelings have you got out of making this record? So what's the emotional machinations been? Hmm. Oh, I'm very proud of it. There's a lot of... I'm um, very proud of everyone involved. And that's. The, I guess that's the biggest one. very proud of myself for completing it and like making the record. And I had a lot of fun. Like, like there was just like so much fun in creating it. I learned so much and that was like... I love to learn, like I absolutely love learning, so like that was the funnest thing throughout it. And yeah, the biggest one is definitely just feeling proud of everyone involved and what they added to it and just like, it was so much fun, you know, we live tracked it in three days and... You can't underestimate that, the live tracking is what's mm, made it such a stellar record. Totally, like the energy you can feel in the songs, like we just knew when it was the right one and just like the, like my band is so good. Like, they're just so amazing. Like, you know, I've got Adam Dean on lead guitar. Like, he's amazing. And I've got Ross Beaton on modular synth. And he's the one that makes, you know, all the incredible sounds throughout. And that's why, you know, you never really know what's a space sound and what's Ross. So, like, that's one of my favourite things about the record in itself. And then, like, Lachlan O'Kane on drums. Like, he's my favourite drummer in the world. Like, so lucky to have him, like, play... And then Brendan Tsui on bass, like just an absolute bass lord, like so good. And just like the whole team of people I worked with, like so good. Like I was just, it was such a seamless, easy experience and I've had such terrible experiences previously at times, especially when I first started out doing music, you know, sometimes you just get in these terrible experiences and this was just easy. It was just so nice and relaxed and fun just lovely and enjoyable and like I got to engineer it like with uh, Isaac Bader and he's just so easy and lovely and cares and he mastered it as well and then Alex O'Gorman to mix with was just the best like I just got to sit in this room with him and mix this album and he just like was so 
enthusiastic about it and like gave a sh and listened to me and that in itself was just so rewarding and oh, just nice people like working with nice people was just bloody great and finding those people to work with is just the best feeling yeah that was something I got out of it it's just like this can be easy you know it can be you can get, get stuck in these awful ruts of just like working with people and or getting caught in these situations and then feeling really disheartened about music and not wanting to do it or whatever. So one of the best decisions you made was to get out of the music industry for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and just take take a step back and chill and and then find the right team to work with. And, and now it's like incredible. So stoked. And I mean, I'm talking like years and years and years ago. I've had good people around me for a long time yeah, sure. now. This was just great. Like, I couldn't have thought of a better way to make my album. Tanya Bats, Bats, thanks for doing Radio Notes. Thank you so much for having me. Bats, having a chat at the South Australian Museum. Their debut album is The Grand Tour. Their EP is called 62 Moons, and they can be found online at batsmusic.com. I've just under 10 minutes of the show left. Earlier shared some of the cuts that have arrived in my inbox in the recent days, and if you have an album or a tune I should know about... Radio notes at writeme.com. That's radio notes at writeme.com is the email to drop it through to. But for now, some radio notes discoveries. Just Mustard came across my desk of late on the back of the recommendation of The Cure. They're an Irish five piece, have a 12 inch Frank October, the A and B side of, that's out through Pizza Pizza Record. They played live in Dublin with the aforementioned The Cure. Their debut album is called Wednesday that you can also find online. Let you discover more yourself as I'm keen to have a chat with, so do not want to say too much now. Australian Quartet from the mind and the producer of the instrumentalist Godridis has an album too due out on Friday the 19th of July 2019. The open cut is Max Lush Carlos and endearing number Alice also appears in the middle of this adventurous audio experience. State of Grab the Ears of Giles Pedersen and can totally understand why. It also has vocals that appears of Hannah Macklin on track 9. The Practice of Love is Jenny Haval's new album out September 13, 2019. Ashes to Ashes is the latest cut ahead of the album's release with themes that very much tie into those of this year's Melbourne International Writers Week who I'll chat with more in the future episodes. For now, Haval delivers the next layer of their heart-drenched, reality-bleached, pop-esque delights. Just three there that have gone past my desk. Now time to go... Off the chats. Albums first, in line with Surely, their conference. Hillsong scores a re-entry at 33. Mystify, a musical journey with Michael Hutchins, debuts at 28. New at 26, Machine Gun Kelly, with the highest debut on the album chart, going to Revenge of the Dreamers 3 by Dreamville J. Cole at number 2. Billie Eilish, back at top spot. With their When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? Singles, Best Part of Me by Ed Sheeran featuring Yebba lands in its first week at 24. His Blow Cut with Kristen Stapleton and Bruno Mars at 40. And his cut I Don't Care with Justin Bieber stays at 3. Post Malone featuring Young Thug starts its chart placement at 5. Look at the vinyl chart in Australia for the week that's just been. The new release from Olympia, Flamingo. 
debuts at number six. The Black Keys' Let's Rock at number five. Frog Stomp, yep, by Silverchair, released back in March of 1995, re-enters at four. Kylie's Step Back in Time steps down a spot to three to make way for former lover Michael Hutchins' debut at two. Brand new in the Australian chart of vinyl releases, thanks to ARIA, the Australian Recording Industry Association chart, is Spice Girls' Greatest Hits, originally released in November 2007. Zigga Zig that's a wrap for this episode of The Charts. Before I throw to a grab of next episode's guests, I just want to give a big thumbs up to two of the team members that make sure that every week that this very podcast is released as your show goes as smoothly as possible. Behind the scenes on the website, we've got Steve Davis of Talk About Media, keeping all the zeros and ones in order. And a big thanks to the voice of the podcast, none other than Tammy Weller, who works hard every single episode to keep the glue together. Even when I'm feeling a very hoarse, they're there making sure that you hear some of the best sounds linking our guests. Thanks very much, Tammy, for being there and doing the hard work that you do. Next episode, we'll hear from these two. Very much anticipating Angie McMahon's first big release. I stumbled across Angie McMahon. I went to an Angus and Julie Stone gig. She's supported. I hadn't heard of her. And all of a sudden, I was in love with the Support Act, which has happened to me quite a few times. And she's just phenomenal on stage. She just, she's a breath of fresh air, I feel, in Australian music industry at the moment. I'm just loving her lyrics and just her voice isn't something you'd expect to come out of her tiny little frame. She's just phenomenal. She's a really good performer, really loving her stuff. So I just can't wait for a full release to come out. Looking for the new Salida Kenya release and obviously there's that huge St Vincent influence on it, but it's not in a jarring way. It's actually really taken them to another, I wouldn't say another level, but just a, a slightly different direction, but it works so well because I guess they're both very angular performers. Yeah, it just prompted me to go back through their back catalogue again and just sort of remember how good they were. Because when you talk about bands that don't really sound like anything else, because we go through waves where there's, a, I guess, a bit of a revival of a certain 60s sound, like King Gizzard and the Wizard Lizard and all It's sort of a... We know what that sounds like because we've heard that before. But when, when you listen to Slee Candy, I mean, they're all in their 40s now, but it's they're still doing stuff that doesn't sound like anything else. Um, and it's just an absolute joy to listen to. Amber and Trent of the band Tetsuians will be our special guests next episode. The whole band joined me on a couch down the line from Northern Australia via Skype. You'll hear from them. Episode after that, Eagle Mount. Mediocre at best is the name of one of their singles, will be our guests. And then this guy. Ah, yes, Farmers Union. Mm-mm. Ice cream of the mouth. Dan Illick of Irrational Fear will be joining us. He's currently got a show as part of Irrational Fear that will feature Ray Martin, as well as many other guests in Sydney in the coming weeks as we record. Thanks very much to our feature guests this week. Bats, their debut album is called The Grand Tour, is available as well as their EP, 62 Moons. RadioNotesPodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. 
Indian music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Merch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia. <laughs>